If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Ephesians 1? Ephesians chapter 1. Each week I want to begin our time of teaching with the reading of a passage. Nathan's alluded to it earlier, but today I've asked uh, Pradeep Chuan to come up and share God's word with us this morning. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the sense? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you. Imagine with me your closest set of friends. Imagine with me the people that matter the most to you, whether it's family or friends. What would you, what would you pray for them? What would you ask God, assuming you believe in him and assuming you have a relationship with him, what would you ask him for thinking about your friends, thinking about those closest to you. The passage that Pradeep has just read tells us what, what Paul prayed, what, what he asked. We began our, last, our, our series last week in Ephesians called Becoming Who You Are. Becoming who you are. And we're going through this book, and in those first verses of Ephesians 1 that we looked at, that we read last week, it, it talks about God's plan, God's plan to, to save, to reconcile those who previously were far from Him, to, to bring them close to Him. This plan, this amazing plan that we read about last week, and involves the entire trinity. So it involves the Father who plans and designs and the Son who goes to the cross and and accomplishes a victory. And it involves the Holy Spirit who seals us, who watches over us. It involves the past, eternity past, and that God loves and designed his plan to from, from eternity past, it involves the future, eternity future, and that we will live with Christ forever, but it involves the present as well. And in the present, God is showing initiative in our direction. And, and Ephesians 1 describes the response of trust in the Lord. 
As, as a matter of fact, as you, as you look at verse 15, as you look at verse 16, you, you become aware that Paul is so encouraged by what is happening in their life. They're, they're walking in faith and, and they're growing and they're, they're loving each other. They're loving all the saints. And because Paul knows what God has done and is doing and will do, he says, for this reason, I'm praying. In verse 15, for this reason, I am asking God for things. Sometimes we have the wrong idea of God's power and his great and greatness. And we have the, the idea that because he has a plan and because he's sovereign, then why bother praying? But Paul actually sees his plan and sees his sovereignty and says, because he is doing that, I'm praying because God is ordained that we pray. God is going to accomplish his plans through our prayers, not, not around them. God is accomplishing his will as we pray. And so Paul knows what we should know, and that is our prayers are not wasted. He prays for the Father of glory to do something. What he prays is that the Father of glory would would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. They might have insight and understanding. He prays, as it's described here, especially in verse 18, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. The eyes of their heart would be enlightened. So he asked God for the Ephesian believers. God might work in such a way that they would have a full appreciation of all of what God has done for them. He prays because he knows on their own, they won't get there. They need God's help in this endeavor. So Paul begins this passage with a a prayer that they would be enlightened. So I was reading this, I thought of, I thought of something that happened to me, I don't know, it's probably a couple years back. So I had to take a trip a few years back and I was going through Baltimore. And because I was going through Baltimore, I had to go through the tunnels. And I remember that particular day, it was a an unusual day in the car going through those tunnels because I remember it being just unusually dark. I expect tunnels to be dark. This was an unusual darkness. And I remember my depth perception was all, I couldn't even tell like where the car in front of me was. It seemed like, are there any lights? Even car lights seemed dim. It's like, what is going on here? And then I went to scratch my eye and I realized I had my sunglasses on. It's like, well, you idiot, that's what's going on. No wonder, no wonder you can't see anything in this tunnel because I'd been messing with the lights. I'm like, what is going on here? It's amazing. We live in a world where, by analogy, I think there are times where life seems so dark. We may not even, we know something's wrong, but we're not sure, like, what is going on here? Sometimes this world that we live in causes things to get blurry, and our vision gets a little dim. You can't tell me that someone who lives let's say, months or years or decades in loneliness, that the world doesn't begin to become a little bit darker. They have trouble seeing clearly. Paul recognizes this. Paul recognizes that perhaps there were those in Ephesus that were kind of going through the the rat race of life. I mean, it's a highly metropolitan area and there's probably always something to do, always something to get done. 
Perhaps that's you. I mean, you're trying to get everything that you can done and, and you feel like you can just barely catch your breath. Even, even this hour that you've given to the Lord and to, to come to this gathering, this worship service, you recognize that I'm going to leave this, but I, I've got so much else to do. And sometimes it's because you feel pressure here and there and you could take like one or two places of pressure, one or two pressure points, but it's like four or five and you begin to feel like I'm going to break. And in that moment, it's like things begin to be a little bit dimmer. Maybe Paul's writing this to a person in Ephesus. Maybe he's writing this to a a woman who has been hurt deeply or a man who has been abused. And he's writing them knowing, knowing that their world could, could have the potential to get darker and darker. And he's writing to some slave who has endured a ton of injustice. Maybe he's writing to newer believers who wrestle with doubt and confusion and because their, their life isn't changing as quick as they had hoped, they, they begin to wonder and it seems like life is getting a little bit darker or they, they look out on their own culture and don't like where that's headed or look at the future and go, the world seems like it's, it's not growing, going toward the light. It seems like it's going 100 miles an hour toward darkness and So Paul writes with this burden on his heart. He says, I want the eyes of your heart enlightened. I want it illuminated. I want the floodlight to come on for you to know some important things. If you are living where life has gotten a little blurry and life has gotten a little dim, Paul says, I want to illuminate something. I want the spirit of wisdom and revelation to illuminate something in your life. And and the first thing he he prays for the illumination of is, I want you to be illuminated as to what God has called you to. I want you to know it. I want the floodlight to come on in your life. So it's not just something you're aware of, but something that the light is shining brightly. Like when you're in that dark room and you flip on the lights and immediately you begin to see things much more clearly. Paul says there is a hope in verse 18. You have the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. We can live a lot of our life with not much hope. With not much hope on the horizon. And maybe that is you. I mean, while you hope to go to heaven when you die, right now, you're looking at the next year, two, five, ten, and saying, I wonder, I wonder if from this point on, all of my best days are in the rearview mirror. And the toughest part of life is, is in front of me. Maybe you feel like there is no hope, like at this point, you're not sure things are going to get better. I, I think sometimes when I have a real stressful week, it's hard for me to remember the hope of my calling. But, but even that word matters, doesn't it? It's hope is something that God has called us to. I love the way someone said it. It's not merely an invitation. It is a call. It's a, a summons to hope. Matter of fact, one writer said it's like a, a subpoena, a gospel subpoena, calling you, summoning you to, to hope again. 
telling you that this world, whether you, whether you think that it's bleak on the horizon, whether, whether you have like no expectation of good things, this is a call to, to hope. I, I love the way J.I. Packer describes hope. He said, hope is the guaranteed expectation enabling believers to look forward with joy. That's hope. The guaranteed expectation enabling us as believers to look forward with joy, not with dread, but with joy. Able to look forward, not merely looking backwards and saying, this is guaranteed. We have an expectation of something better. You see, our hope can be diminished when life presses and presses and we can say, I don't really see that much hope for the rest of my life. Or it may be kind of the flip side of that would be, You have lots of other things you put your hope in, but you don't put your hope in this calling, what he's called you to. I mean, we live in a world that can get pretty small pretty quickly. We put our hope in, like there's... There'd be nothing better. My hope is in finding the right person or, or we, we think nothing could be better than, than graduation or nothing could be better than, than being an upperclassman or nothing could be getting, be, nothing could be getting the job I want or, or the grades I want or nothing could be better than restored health or nothing could be better than the retirement account being secure enough and strong enough to, to guarantee some economic freedom. We... We put our hope in these things. But Paul says, I don't want you to just hope in general terms. I want you to have hope in his calling. That he has a future for you. There is that moment. That moment when you get clarity on this. The moment when God shines his light. And previously you felt like there is, it's barely worth living. There's nothing good on the horizon. And then all of a sudden, and maybe, maybe it happens. Maybe it happens in a worship service. Maybe it happens as you're listening to something uh, on the radio or on your iPod. Maybe it happens as you're reading God's word. Maybe it happens as you talk to another believer. And once again, it's like the light switch comes on and there's hope again. Yeah, that's what Paul's praying. Can you see that hope more clearly today. Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus to be illuminated to the hope. But second of all, he, he prays, he wants them to be enlightened, the, the eyes of their, their heart to be enlightened to the riches of his inheritance among the saints. That's what he says in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. And you read the, the words, his inheritance, and in scripture, his inheritance can mean a couple different things. It could mean the inheritance that he gives to believers. We, we receive that inheritance. Other places in scripture, it talks about the, in, the inheritance he receives because of all that he's done. And, and, and I think that that is really what Paul is pressing on here, that we might know the riches of God's inheritance, all that Jesus will receive, all that Jesus will possess because he's done the work of reconciling us to God. And so what is the inheritance? What is the inheritance that God receives, that Jesus receives for having accomplished his work? It's the people of God. It's us. Once again, we live in a world that, that makes things dim at times, makes things blurry. 
makes us not be able to see things exactly as clear as we should. Sometimes it's easy to live in a world where we don't feel that important. We don't feel like that many people notice. We begin to think we, maybe, maybe we don't really matter. Maybe our friends and our family and those close to us, maybe, maybe they don't care. We begin to wonder. We, we begin to live in a world where, like, who are we and what's the point of it all? And then Paul's got his floodlight on again, this floodlight of grace, and he wants to shine it on and say, this is, this is what I want you to know, that you are the inheritance of God. You matter to him. You are in Christ, and God wants you. He purchased you. He is rewarded by, by you. What an amazing thing. The people of God are his inheritance. If you were to come over to my house, I could walk you around. I could walk you around our house and I could show you things that we've inherited. And you, know, you, may, you may not be impressed by that stuff and it may have no zero meaning to you. But it would have a lot of meaning to me. It would have a lot of meaning to my wife. We'd know this is in our house. This is our possession. Because at one point, this was my great-grandfather's. And it's a reminder of him. And this was my... This is, this is Shauna's grandmother's. And it, and it mattered to her. And it matters to us. And I could show you things that were my dad's and say, that was dad's and now it's, in, now it's in this house because it matters. And it may be small and it may be silly, but I will tell you, it, it matters to me what, what we possess as our, our inheritance. Those things that actually have become priceless to us. And then we read, what are the riches of God's inheritance? We recognize that's, that's us. That's us because we are in Christ there's something so beautiful. Something so beautiful about parents who take a, a child into their home, foster care or adopting, and I will choose to care for this child. There's something amazing. It's something that just so demonstrates love in that. There's something amazing when you, when you see a girl and a guy and you recognize they are making commitments that, that she wants to make and they're making a, a wholehearted, full covenant commitment to this other person. You say, that is love. Look at that love, that choice of love. And then I read the beginning of Ephesians and I'm reminded that God has set his love on us. We are his people. We are his, his inheritance. And there's moments where like there's moments where it's kind of dark and blurry and then there's those moments where you just recognize, okay, the God of the universe really does care about me. He really knows my address. He really knows what's going on in my heart. He really knows about the, the pain I've dealt with. He really knows about the fact that I, I feel pretty worthless many days when I, when I wake up. And I feel like I've got to earn all kinds of people's approval. And then, and then I recognize God is not counting on me to earn his approval. You know what it means? You have that floodlight of grace shining on. This fact that God has inherited you. You are his. What an amazing thing. And you see that more clearly today.
God wants you to be able to fully appreciate what it means to be his inheritance. And there's one more piece of this because he actually pushes even further in in verse uh, 19. He, he also wants them to have illumination when it comes to recognizing the immeasurable greatness of his power, of God's power. So Paul is praying, thinking of those believers in Ephesus, and he's praying, Lord, let them know the immeasurable greatness of your power. Because they might be tempted to see a lot of powerful things, and they might be tempted to forget that you're the most powerful. So Lord, open up their eyes. We face, we come up against some pretty powerful things in the world, don't we? You begin thinking about your past, and it, it seems so powerful in defining who you are. It seems like it's something you're never going to be able to run from, never be able to hide, never to be able to fully kind of climb the hill over that past that you'd like to move on from. And it seems so powerful. You begin to face issues of anxiety or depression, and they just loom large. And, and you feel like you're just spiraling out of control, and, and you want to change, but you can't. It seems so powerful. It seems like it will have your number forever. When, when you think of the impulse to, to buy and to spend or any other impulse that, that has taken some, something God has given that's good and, and twisted it and that impulse that drives you to do things that you know you shouldn't do and, and you, yet you feel like, I don't know that I can ever stop doing that. It feels so powerful. When you come across something that, that causes you deep, deep pain and you feel like I will never get past that, it is too powerful. It has, too, has such a strong say in my life. When you come across people who, for whatever reason, seem to be so powerful to you, they can just glance at you the wrong way and you feel like a piece of trash. Or they have uh, authority over you and they can... They can make your life a, a challenging thing to live. And you think, I, I don't even know how to get around this person. I am, I'm stuck. This is so powerful. And you look at government that can do what it wants and say what it wants. And you feel like, where, where is the, like, where's the brake pedal? Where's the brake pedal on righteousness and justice? And Paul is writing to those in Ephesus who walked in a world filled with lots of power. Lots of power. Paul says, I want you to remember something. I'm praying that God would enlighten the eyes of your heart so you'll know as powerful as everything you look at, God is more powerful. God is more powerful. That addiction that has your number God is more powerful. The first Corinthians 10 says there is a way of escape and God is faithful. That accusation that lingers in your ears, it says you'll always be that. You'll always be this. God is powerful enough to forgive. Do you know the immeasurable greatness of his power? 
working in you? I mean, not do you know it. Do you really know it? Do you, do you feel that? Do you know some of these burdens can, can be lifted, the, the relational insecurities that you may have, and you're, you're wondering if you're going to be left alone or if someone's going to hurt you, and, and then you're reminded the powerful word of God, I will never leave you and I won't forsake you. Or you wrestle with the internal doubts of, like, I'm trying this Christian thing, but I don't know that I can continue. And you hear the powerful words of the Lord saying, I, I started a good work in you, and I will finish it. I will finish it until I come back. Maybe you deal with the past, and you hear the powerful words of the Lord saying, old things are going to pass away, and I'm making everything new in your life. You deal you wonder, do I, do I have enough? Am I enough? Do I know enough? Do I, what, what, what do I have to survive spiritually? And then you read in Second Peter that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I think I feel pretty weak. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you for when you're, you're weak, I'm showing my strength. The immeasurable greatness of his power, not even death can conquer God's power. Romans 8 says, nothing separates us from the love of Christ. There's that moment where you get real clarity on it. I'm, I can have hope. I, I truly belong to God. And there is a power inside of me that is immeasurably great. And it is at work. Paul does something very, very interesting. He takes those things that he's praying and he begins to show us how they are all, again, wrapped up in Jesus. It's not as if Paul is making these prayer requests independent of Jesus. As a matter of fact, as we begin to read about the immeasurable greatness of God's power, we're seeing the the full illumination. We'll be seeing and appreciating Jesus. It's as if Paul is saying, look right here and Sometimes you're trying to get kids' attention and, and you're saying, every eye on me, look, I need you to look, I need you to look. And it seems like Paul is saying, not to look at him, but to look at Jesus. You want to know where the immeasurable greatness of God's power will come from? It comes, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. Paul fills that even in further as he explains his power. Look at verse 20, he says, this is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You want to know how God shows he's strong? Look to the resurrection. When he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, the power of the resurrection of Jesus, that's the power that's at work in your life. Why would Paul pray to God for power? Because he knew that Jesus was alive. If Jesus was alive and could conquer sin, hell, death, the grave, Surely he can give you power that you need. We, we think of the, Paul prayed like for the, they would have hope. The hope of their calling, they would know that. And hope would mean there's a, a future. And, and Paul says, Jesus, the one who came, is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the in the age to come. So why could Paul even pray for hope? He could pray for hope because Jesus had secured, secured their, 
their lives now, but also for the future, not just in this age, but when all is wrapped up with the old heavens and the old earth, there would be new heavens and new earth, and we would be secure then. The hope we look to, the unrivaled authority of Jesus over everything, because they're in Christ, because Jesus rules, they could have hope. He prayed that they would know that they were God's inheritance. That they were God's people. That God cared about them. How do we know that God cares about his people? And once again, it's, it's wrapped up in Jesus, isn't it? In verse 22, and he, God, put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The inheritance of God is people. The church Jesus inherits these people. He cares for them. This is a group of people from all nations. The church, someone said it well, the church is not a group of like-minded people who gather to pursue their mutual interest. It's a group of people united to Christ. And Christ fills the church. Just as the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Paul could pray for hope. And he could pray for them to know the riches of their inheritance. And he could pray that the, the floodlight of God's grace would, would shine. Because he knew Christ had come. Because he knew Christ had secured all these things. Have you had that illumination? I wonder, is that happening regularly to you? Where God's just overwhelming your heart? I guess this goes beyond just knowing a couple Bible stories. Or are you having those moments where you're, the eyes of your heart are enlightened and it's like, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it like I've never seen it before. I'm seeing God's grace like I've never seen it before. Maybe you're reading in the Old Testament and you're reading kind of the, the plan for Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're reading in the Gospels and then you're reading about this man, this man named Jesus. And I'm sure you've heard the story, you know, the walking on the water, feeding the five. But now it's becoming something different to you. You're, you're seeing yourself in those stories and you're seeing how he reached out to the broken and the hopeless and the helpless and brought them back and how he called others to follow. And you're saying, I see it. I see him. I see him calling and I see hope filling that calling. Are the eyes of your heart enlightened? Are you fueled to talk to him more because you know he wants to hear from you? You're his son. You're his daughter. He, he wants to hear. Is that fueling more prayer? Is it, are you listening to others who are also following him, who have their own walk? And as we talk to other believers, we're hearing how they relate to Jesus and how, how this person relates to Jesus, how, how she is walking with the Lord. And we're hearing all this kind of in multidimensional ways. We're saying, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Church, this is what I'm praying for. I'm praying for Ogletown to have a deeper understanding. Eyes of our heart enlightened, a deeper understanding of all that God has done for us in Jesus. Not playing church, but a deeper understanding, a a greater appreciation of the work of Jesus. Hearts filled with praise where, where when we see words about Jesus on those screens and the musicians and the worship leaders are 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 taking us to, to worship him, to encounter Christ. We are eager to do that. We're, we're filled with praise because our hearts have been enlightened. And we say, well, of course I want to praise. 
I'm praying as God shines this floodlight of grace on our lives, we begin to alter priorities and adjust our desires and to, to want different things and want new things because we know that matters more than anything else. Paul has a prayer. He prays for Ephesus. I think he's praying for us by extension. Can we join him in that prayer this morning? Let's take a moment to bow our heads. Father, our hearts can can really get dim on these things. So I thank you for the reminder of Paul that we ought to be praying that you would illuminate our lives. We can grow callous. We can go through the motions. We can play games. And our hearts not be enlightened. Father, there's no, no amount of uh, manipulation or coercion that can make this happen. But in this moment, in these moments, you can, and maybe it'll be tomorrow or maybe it'll be later on this week, you can turn the light on and our hearts would be enlightened. We would praise you differently. We would trust in you more deeply. This is what we desire, Lord. This is a passion of our hearts. Make that true of our church, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.